Industry Pods and Evergreen Podcast Network are pleased to present the following podcast. Welcome to day two of the eighth edition of LA Blockchain Summit. Today is Regulated Securities Day. I hope you all enjoyed yesterday and a huge thank you to all of our speakers. And today, here's what is in store. Today, you'll experience a number of panel discussions on such topics as digital asset management, tokenization and custodianship. And here to kick things off for the day is Opportunity Hub's Rodney Sampson and Draper Goran Holmes, Alan Gorin. Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, uh, for your participation. Yesterday was uh, a huge, huge day, probably uh, our, our biggest day yet. And I think today can can be even bigger. So I'm so excited uh, to, to be joined by Rodney, uh, who is a longtime friend, longtime partner in uh, from, from the crowdfunding days and, and also a, a venture partner uh, at Draper Gorin Home. Rodney, uh, welcome and good morning. Good morning to you. It's good to good to see you. And of course, uh, well, well done. Great job. I know you got to get through the rest of the conference, but it looks amazing. And I'm excited to be on the team. Hey, hey thank you. So, so I thought it would be fun for, for us to have this kind of two, two-way conversation, fireside chat, because you know there's uh, there's there's so many things to to talk about, right? But I think a fun thing um, for everyone who who maybe doesn't doesn't know you and doesn't know me that well is is to start off one, you know, please introduce yourself, and um, and then let's uh, let's jump into kind of the background that that brought us here, right? And sort of the why crypto conversation because you know with yes yesterday we talked a lot about DeFi and nfts and all these things and today is is a lot of regulatory talk and i think that the regulation or lack thereof or a bunch of different reasons are are probably why we both ended up where we are today um so so but first uh, why don't you give your background sure so i've been building companies um for over 20 years now, I um, actually started uh, back in 2000 as a co-founder of a startup that was building streaming technology software. And um, we were doing that in Atlanta. That company was acquired in 2010. I you know, did a rinse repeat a few times for companies, two incredible big failures and then two exits, you know? And so after that was really looking really for more definitive purpose on how, you know, I could um, not be an outlier from my community in the ecosystem. And we, um, we, me and my wife and I didn't want to just do philanthropy right out the gate. And so we created a social enterprise called Opportunity Hub. And for the last eight years, we've been building uh, these ecosystems uh, in Atlanta, in Kansas City, uh, now nationwide. And I'm sure we'll be in the metaverse like everyone else will be soon, perhaps. <laughs> and, um, you know, building, building something, you know, uh, from the ground up is not uh, easy, never easy, of course. And so 
Um, we've, we've done a lot of amazing work, an amazing team as it relates to the upskilling and job uh, practice that we have in OHUB and in the startup programs and investment side of the house as well. And so um, in addition, we have a foundation um, that does a lot of advocacy, a lot of outreach, a lot of early exposure programs as well. And then I'm a GP of 100 Black Angels and Allies uh, Fund, and we're pretty you know, active investors inside of our, our ecosystem. I'm a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution, um, and I'm also a visiting uh, distinguished professor at UNC uh, Chapel Hill Kenan Figo School of Business. Authored several books, um, Kingonomics being probably the most well-known uh, which is how we actually met uh, through yeah. George Schofler, right? Yeah, yeah. We we the fun the fun story for everyone is that Rodney and I met through um, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Joyce Schofler, on and that same day that we met on a panel for uh, South by Southwest, um, we uh, we also met Joseph. So uh, so it's pretty crazy to you know think. How many years later? It must be six years or so later um, now, uh, plus uh, probably eight, eight years. Yeah, eight years. Wow. So we, yeah, all all on the same day, uh, the same place. And I remember that was sort of part of the beginnings of the conversation with Joseph and starting at the time Crowd Invest Summit, and then uh, uh, cut to to today an LA Blockchain Summit because. I would meet Joseph. I met him at that event, which was a great event. And then we started meeting at crowdfunding events. We'd end up at, you know, having a beer together and going, you live like an hour away from me. Why do we have to fly to Florida or wherever we are right now to have a beer together? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, eventually we went, let's start one of these in LA. And then it, you know, snowballed into, uh, into today. So it's so great. Uh, we met each other that day. And what's great is I actually brought a friend along with me at the time. Uh, and in hindsight, it was one of the greatest things. My friend Shai brought a professional camera. And so we have like the mo the most well-documented first time we met because we got all these professional pictures of it too, <laughs> which is just funny. In hindsight, it seems like it was like choreographed. But but I remember, you know, we went to that conference, you were launching Kingonomics, and then you launched the Kingonomics conference, which was a really big deal. I, um, I, I got to participate and that's when I, I really you know, got to know you much better too, because I got to, to meet your network and meet all the people around you. Um, uh, but, you know, I would love to get your perspective and, and I guess I, I should give a little background on myself too, but, but I'd love to get your perspective on, on, you know, where we are today versus back then, right? So we're talking about uh, the Kingonomics conference was, was then if we met eight years ago, it was probably seven years ago or so um, now. And, you know, all a, a big, you know, a lot of the talk was was regulation. A lot of the talk was the Jobs Act and uh, and things like that. How do you see uh, the the changing landscape? You you know, I guess in in hindsight, I think I have an overarching response that I've learned in the process. And I won't say, well, I won't say I've learned this in the process. I will say that my appreciation for it um, was refined and maybe shaped over the last eight years that 
really parallel the signing of the Jobs Act, jumpstart our uh, small business um, startups act, and um, the evolution of that through Reg CF and Reg A, and then how you know ICOs hit SEC opinions there. But I will say this, and I believe this to even be globally. Um, is that policy is precedence. And if you are building on the edge, and edge technology, the metaverse, blockchain, crypto, if you are building in the fourth industrial revolution, you should do yourself a favor and make sure you understand how policy is created and how policy is rolled out and how policy is enforced and how policy can impact what you're doing and what you're building, whether it is at the global or national down to the municipal level. Um, Now, telling a startup founder or a disruptor or industrialist, you know, something like that, may seem a little, you know, kind of, you know, tense, right? Because we believe that, you know, once we have domain expertise on the problem we want to solve, that there's nothing that we cannot, you know, do to actually solve it. Especially when you're talking to technologists that literally can build stuff and get it to, you know, get, get you know, automated and it does it, right? So Yeah, well, I mean, I would tell you, you remember this too, but I mean, back when I remember when we first met and, and even before that, because, uh, you know, pre-Jobs Act, uh, we were all participating in this space and, and I was the young techie who was pissed off, right? I was, I, I started my company and I didn't realize what I wanted to do was against the rules. I, I just went, of course, anyone can, put up a fundraising campaign, share it with their friends on MySpace back then um, and uh, and raise money for their company. Right. It would be un-American if you couldn't. Right. And and that's how I felt. And and I went to do it. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, uh, my friends who were lawyers and people who, who were more uh, well informed than than I was came to me and and. Uh, and, and told me, hey, you got to take this down. You can't do that. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean? My example project was for a friend of mine who wanted to start a landscaping business and wanted to raise money from his customers to, so that they could help him buy a new truck and they would own a piece of his company. And I went like, how could that be illegal? That, that's insane. It's really like it was insane to yeah. me. And so that's how I started the conversation in the crowdfunding world. And I was so angry and I didn't believe that the politicians would would uh, would get things done, but I remember at one of the conferences, um, the big news uh, that one of our friends told us backstage, kind of thing, and then and then it became publicly known was that they were um, re uh, I don't know the, the exact terminology, but they're reissuing the bill or putting it in front of Congress, and it was rebranded to the Jumpstart Our Business Startups, and, and it was rebranded as the Jobs Act. And when they told me it was called the Jobs Act, you know, this is uh, post uh, recession times and stuff like that, post 2008. Um, when they told me it was called the Jobs Act, I went, oh, my gosh, it's going to happen. And they looked at me and, and I went, it doesn't matter what's in it I, to me. Right. And from my cynical point of view, I went, it's called the Jobs Act. What politician 
can, is going to run next time and have any chance of being reelected if the opposing side could say he voted against the Jobs Act, you know? So, yeah. so, um, but I mean, to, to that was a little ingenious, you know? I mean, I remember <laughs> um, advocating for the Jobs Act behind the scenes and, you know, I met Jason, Woody, Paul, you know, uh, all the players, right? In the beginning, David yeah. Will. And and at the time, politically, um, you know, Patrick McHenry, you know, the Tea Party was a thing, right? And members of the Tea Party. And so uh -huh. my perspective to folks was like, you're going to have to get consensus across the aisle in order to pass legislation. And so I went to... Um, Maxine Waters and ask her to support the legislation and to build coalition. And so it was literally um, the Tea Party and the Coffee Party <laughs> coming together because, uh, you know, Maxine um, uh, was a leader uh, in the time at the time in the Congressional Black Caucus. Right. And so it, mm -hmm. it showed that even polarizing ends of the political spectrum, <laughs> And I remember talking to folks in the White House at the time from, you know, my vantage point of how they were able to get um, Republicans and Democrats to come ar together around a narrative. And they actually were negotiating up until the last minute. And because they rebranded it, that's how they got it. They got it. They got it through. Right. Now, you, Alon, you said something that I want to address, like like from your perspective and vantage point you were like, hey, it would just be un-American to stop me from like achieving the American dream, yeah. right? Yeah. Whereas my lived experience and my, you know, parents and family's lived experience because of history, and I won't go too deep there, but was to be cautious about yeah. everything. Because if I wasn't cautious, I may, you know, have yeah. a different outcome <laughs> absolutely yeah there's a long rich history of that in our country if yeah. if i take a step back it's 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 patently american right it, but from my perspective as the the son of immigrants who started their own business probably because they could have never gotten a job anywhere else anyway right but but from that perspective it was and plus israelis when they talk and they do the like this that's that's really you know how they navigate uh, a lot of life too so yeah. to me it was like I'm a techie, I'm online. Why wouldn't I be able to do what my family did? You know, like a lot of, if we look at crypto even, and you know, what what we kind of think is is maybe normal or the new narrative in, in sort of web three and ownership and the idea behind like, if we participate in something together, we should own it together and we should govern it together. And, it, and if we go back in history, that's kind of how community banks were supposed to be and supposed to start. It was the local communities or the churches or the temples and whatever, and the people getting together and they would own things together as a community. And, you know, cut to today, you know, it doesn't matter how many years I'm a, I'm a Wells Fargo customer, they're not going to give me stock in the company or give me a vote or a say in anything that they do. But in crypto, that's normal. And to me, that's how you were supposed to start businesses. You call up your friends and family. You, ha you had them rally around you either by maybe investing, but more likely just hiring you, like, a, like being your customer. And yeah. that's how we started a business. So to me, it was like it was the opposite of, of what you know, I was told by my parents, which is work your ass off. You're going to be successful, right? Uh, 
And um, it's, it's just this, this interesting thing, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, but I give so much credit of what's changed to you and some of our friends, because, you know, even, even more recently, when they raised the crowdfunding rules and laws to yeah. um, the Reg CF to 5 million, they changed some of the rules and made it a little more lax and a little more usable, for lack of a better term. Um, uh, I didn't think that was going to happen in the time frame that it did either. Um, I guess I'm, I'm constantly cynical uh, uh, that, the, that the regulators will, will do the right thing. But, but to their credit, a couple of years ago, no regulators would have shown up at this conference. Um, today, we're going to have previous regulators, guys like Jay Clayton uh, are going to join us. And we have current regulators like uh, Hester Peirce will be joining us today, too. And all sorts of regulated financial institutions and some of the biggest banks in the world. So, you know, it's it's a testament to uh, to change and and growth and hopefully um, in a positive direction. You're absolutely right. These are definitely unprecedented times. And, you know, I think about really the collision last year, you know, of, you know, COVID, the culture, you know, I think about um, what happened to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, and, you know, Ahmaud Arbery daily. And, you know, I must have had a thousand conversations last year. And, We've seen a lot of, you know, commitments to right past wrongs or to, you know, help bring everyone everywhere into um, opportunity. Um, and I think that the opportunity our regulators and financial institutions have is that the themes are there. You know, when you talk about the emancipation of capital the democratization of capital, right? We've got the hashtags, we've got the yeah. themes, and now we just need to think about a frictionless, a more frictionless way forward. And so I would mm -hmm. encourage, um, you know, we talk about this in the ecosystem, uh, you know, Steve Case and I've had these conversations, Brad Field, I know you all have talked to Tim Draper a lot, you know, their vantage point in terms of the speed, um, and why having less friction is important when building and moving. And so if you yeah. look at how America needs, has to move forward to stay globally competitive, you know, some would argue I was involved um, with uh, Ro Khanna um, and others who helped to get the Endless Frontier Act through the Senate um, as a part of this huge American Come uh, innovation and competitive act, and they were looking at who, you know, what are the national security issues related globally, and how America being as innovative and competitive as possible was a matter of national security. And I also made the argument that the exclusion of people, because the fourth industrial revolution is moving incredibly fast, right? I think about the number of businesses that closed their doors last year and the people who lost their jobs. But then I think about venture having its greatest year ever, right? Yeah. More funding rounds last year than ever before. And so when you start thinking about how in a crisis, the problem solvers were capitalized to work on stuff. But then from my vantage point, I interact with thousands of problem solvers, technologists and founders and entrepreneurs 
that cannot access capital fast enough if you look at the data for a myriad of reasons. So institutional finance, um, corporate finance, and also government finance, they have an opportunity to do what the private sector says it wants to do, but has not, and what it should do, but has not done. Um, And now the people are saying, if government won't do, if corporate won't do, if finance won't do, the people were saying we must do. We have to be our own best friend and we have to make sure that we organize our capital to build the communities that we want to live in, um, in the now and in the future. And I think that's where our worlds can collide in a very positive, upward mobile uh, manner. I, I love it. I think that, you know, we, we, we talked about this a lot uh, uh, yesterday and people talk about, um, you know, COVID sort of accelerated and, and, and jumped uh, a lot of our sort of uh, uh, the, 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 the regulated financial world, the more traditional friends and family of ours and extended family and, and people um, across the world, whether we know them or not, we're, we're sort of forced to, to work virtually. And, you know, I've, I feel like I've spoken uh, to, to the students at OHUB a few times, probably more at this point than I have uh, the university that's literally across the street from my house. And that was purely because you and I, we live virtually, right? We live in these worlds and we, it's so normal for us to have these kind of conversations. But for the first time ever in the last couple of years, I saw venture capitalist friends, uh, a lot of the banks we're going to have on here, a lot of the regulators we're going to have on here, telling me that they did deals virtually without meeting the company yeah. in person, without meeting the founder in person. And I think I, I think it's a huge step forward in in that promise we, we've been talking about for so many years of sort of leveling the playing field or, you know, uh, having this borderless world. But are you seeing that uh, yet as a, um, is that, uh, benefiting the uh, opportunity hub and the communities that that you know or the the companies that are being built out of it. Um, it absolutely is. You know, having raised and now invest, you know, capital and and I often say people who invest, we still are entrepreneurs raising right from our limited partners, and so we're raising and deploying yeah. simultaneously. But having been that founder and that investor really simultaneously, there was once a time that capital, you know, was basically held hostage geographically. Mm -hmm. And if you couldn't fund getting to multiple meetings to close, you just wouldn't do it. And Mm -hmm. last year, we literally saw $156 billion in venture capital all invested virtually, right? And so I think... That in itself, um, you know, removed at least one barrier in terms of uh, being able to connect um, and think. I mean, I think about the pitch competition we did last year with Steve Case and and Morgan Stanley, um, $2 million invested um, in Black founders specifically. We would have never been able to do that all virtually. Um, I mean, the technology existed. We could have done it. I mean, look, I mean... You've been streaming media for a long time. I was streaming 21 years. You know, we've always streamed at OHA. But, you know, the very fact that you could run an entire applicant diligence process, 
selection process, production process, and actually invest in real companies all virtually mentally required a shift. And so I, I hope we never go back. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think we are going to have to remain in this hybrid accelerated pace. And I think that's where, um, you know, I think about the infrastructure that's going to be required to maintain that pace so that more people can participate in it. And that's why I get excited about the blockchain. And that's why I get excited about crypto. And that's why I get excited about, about DeFi. You know, I think yeah. I'm not distracted by the memes, you know, the fun stuff. You know, you got to have fun sometimes, yeah. right? But at the same time, we got to be we got to be focused on solving these huge problems in society and in industry. And, you know, that shift that happened in our ecosystem, which I'll call the, the startup world, right? The tech startup and venture mm -hmm. world. Which, which plays um, in the same sandboxes like the blockchain and crypto and the AI and the machine learning and the meta, you know, that world is responsible for 60% of net new jobs. And so if you're in a corporate or government space, um, you know, OHUB is working on a project now with, with Treasury and Commerce around the state small business credit initiative. It's a $10 billion allocation of capital that goes to states that can be used to fund small businesses. And what I'm trying to get the teams to do is to adapt our narratives in the startup ecosystem because they want that money to go to venture um, mm -hmm. or towards venture funds that you know, will then do what VCs do, yeah. that they have to adapt the terminologies, but also adapt the understanding. One real simple one, and I'll you know, kind of you know, throw it out. In, in the corporate finance world or the banking world, you know, it's business plans. In our world, it's, you know, pitch days, you know, yeah. executive summaries, right? And it's total addressable market. It's product market fit, right? It's, it's DAIS, diversity, equity, inclusion, solution. It's like the acronyms that we learn in terms of like, like moving fast and nimble and lean, they don't always translate but I do think there's wisdom and infrastructure that can be brought to the table, right? Mm -hmm. Our world may be able to help folks build fast and build quick, but government um, and corporate finance and institutions can help us maintain it uh, once we've built it, right? I think. Okay, so, so here's here's where you know we've only got a couple minutes left, and I wanna I wanna actually like that was a perfect a perfect moment because we have the most incredible opportunity probably, you know, since the internet in the United States right now, and we have a, a, a path forward. Uh, but if you ask some of my friends in the crypto world and, uh, and, and beyond, um, the uncertain regulatory environment is, uh, is, is, is a major issue, right? So, we have, for example, some of the smartest minds in the crypto space, blockchain space here in this country. We have Opportunity Hub and programs like that and amazing engineers and, and young people who, who could take that to the next level. But when I'm getting pitched to startups, I hear somebody with a Midwestern accent. I hear somebody with, uh, with you know, uh, uh, 
sounds like they're from Texas, or I hear a California kid that sounds like he's a surfer. And then I ask them, oh, so where are you based? Expecting to hear Texas or the Midwest or, or, or Orange County. And, uh, and they tell me, oh, I'm in, I'm in, uh, I'm in Switzerland right now. I'm in, um, uh, I'm in Singapore. I'm in Dubai. Um, and uh, is there, do you think, you know, that we, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, the United States might be squandering this huge opportunity by sort of in, in the world where the playing field is more level, it's also easier for us to just go somewhere else if we need to build something. Um, well, I'm going to shock the conference by saying something, you know, from my, my perspective and vantage point, I know a lot of black people who have left America because they're just tired of dealing with institutionalized or personalized racism. All right. I said it. Cancel me. I don't care. But my point is, translate that to people who want to build without barriers, people who want yeah. their ideas to be appreciated, people who want to innovate in America because their parents are here, their families are here, but they keep running into barriers. I know founders right now that are going to Nigeria and going to Kenya and going to Ghana to build their startups because there's more capital being organized on the continent for African entrepreneurs than capital that's being organized um, for minority entrepreneurs. I will say this, we've never, we've never had a conversation of, should we not invest in that company because they're in another country? We've never had right. that conversation. Yeah. And we've made investments now in, in India, in Israel, in uh, all over Europe. Um, I've talked to actually one African company that I love, but they might actually be too later stage for us. They might be too big for us already and for us to make that investment. So, so, but the thing is, what you said is not that controversial to me because for as a punk rocker, at least growing up, all my friends would be like, oh, I'm moving to Canada. I'm moving to Canada. I'm moving to there. I'm moving to there. But nobody put their money where their mouth is until the last couple of years. I'm seeing it now all of a sudden, like it's happening all the time. So, you know. Um, it's, I, I think it's crazy. I think we're, we're pushing against time. Uh, we have a yeah. great presentation yeah. from Ami coming up uh, uh, discussing Onera and Finn P2P. Rodney, th thank you so much. Give everyone a, 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 a plug of where to find you or follow you. Absolutely. I'm at Rodney Sampson um, or Professor Sampson on most platforms. Let's connect there. And in, you know, in closing, these are incredible times. Um, I love America. Um, and I want us to be the most competitive, the most innovative, um, the most opportunity yielding nation on this planet. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining us today.